HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Bob's Red Mill believes in baking, breakfast, and the pursuit of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Brooklyn Kitchen. Join me every Wednesday as I talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. Today's episode 81 of Feast Your Ears, and I'd like to welcome Tim Harney into the studio today. Hello. Tim is an industrial designer turned motorcycle builder who makes custom bikes in Bushwick and is also co-owner of Moto Spirits, a uh, rice whiskey and uh, distillery and distiller of other things uh, that uh, shares his shop. Thanks, Tim, for coming out to the studio today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, So... uh, I have to say, every time I hear that ad before my show for the fun drive, I kind of <laughs> think I should change out my music to be a little funkier. I feel like, I mean, I like the music. The music before my show is yeah, written yeah, by my brother, really but jazzy. every time I hear it, I'm like, ooh, maybe this could be my <laughs> show music. You need, you need sexier food music. Yeah, yeah. Feast, yeah. feast your sexy ears, feast maybe. Feast your ears. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, so, Tim, uh, you know, when, uh, when you meet somebody uh, and inevitably the conversation wanders around to or maybe immediately, hey, what do you do? Uh, yeah. uh, how do you describe yourself? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one lately. Uh, I kind of wear a lot of hats. Um, I, I do have to correct you. I'm just a partner in that in that distillery. I'm not I'm not a co-owner. <laughs> I see. Um, but uh, yeah, I, um, it, it's it's hard to exist in New York City without a bunch of different slashes behind your title. So I am a, I guess I'm a motorcycle builder slash uh, distillery guy slash you know fill in the blank. Tomorrow is always a different description. 
Um, so I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I think the easy one is just like, yeah, I build custom bikes. Yeah. Right. That, that's one that people can wrap their brain around and they have some yeah, idea. Yeah. Some idea. At least they can like in their brain, they can close their eyes yeah. and they see you yeah, saying like an, and a industri- motorcycle. Yeah. 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 Saying industrial designer is just like, no one has any idea what you're talking about. It's right. just like, you could be like architect, be like, oh, buildings. Okay. Interior designer, inside stuff, uh, industrial designer, like you design shoes or right. <laughs> agricultural <laughs> products. Yeah. So what led you into uh, what led you into studying design and then subsequently into ma- making motorcycles? Uh, yeah. So I had I had a bit of a like a pageant mom and dad. Um, All right. So they were always kind of harping on uh, I need to uh, be an architect or I need to I need to be some sort of a designer. I've always been kind of like like some some tweaker meth head. I've been like disassembling and taking things apart as as long as I can remember. Um, I, and, the big uh, question, though, I mean, as, as yeah. someone who grew up taking lots of things apart, <laughs> uh, I can identify a real point in time where the putting things back together became part of the project, yeah. not just the taking yeah. it apart. Can you identify that as well? Yeah. Oh, I, I have to I have to preface that Harry and I are both uh, BMW 2002 people. Yes. This is this is a, a brotherhood that I am. I'm not a motorcycle guy. I'm a car guy. So, yeah, that well, I mean, that that's I am also a car guy, but. Um, I guess that's neither here nor there. Say, what, what was your question again? I'm sorry. I'm just. Oh, I, I, you know, you're talking about being, you know, growing up being like a tinkerer, right? Yeah. And, and yeah, taking absolutely. things apart. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I, you know, I also used to love taking things apart because I wanted to see what was in things, yeah. right? I remember, yeah, I mean, of course. I, you know, you have like a stereo receiver on your shelf and yeah. it's like a box Ugh. with some knobs and it's like, wait, what? What's yeah. in there? Yeah. And so you take yeah. it apart. It, it took me a long time. I mean, well into my teens before I started then understanding the things and putting them back together. So there was lots of disassembly early on. I think when I was like 10, a friend and I disassembled a Volkswagen Beetle that was in the woods behind his house. (laughs) Certainly did not put it back together. (laughs) I mean, there was broken glass. Is it still sitting in the woods? I have no idea. I don't even... That that particular friend, uh, maybe I shouldn't even mention his name. I don't even know. (laughs) He got in trouble in high school for hacking uh, (laughs) in the early 90s and like, like, you know, like... Got jail sued time? and like jail time and oh yeah. no oh, yeah. like, oh okay like, yeah well, let's not mention his name then yeah you know I don't know it's where the Baltimore of friends yeah <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I think it's really important um, that uh, that everybody do some self discovery uh, taking things apart I I mean if you're like even remotely curious about how things you know work in this world then I mean you should you shouldn't wait for somebody to teach you how to do something i mean like the best lessons are the lessons you know learned like in the moment i mean i don't know i learned i learned what electricity was from my dad who uh, sarcastically was like yes i i asked what were those things on the wall and he was like why don't you stick your finger in it yeah so <laughs> i feel I like mean, we had a parallel life so my my, <laughs> my dad uh collected and still owns a number of antique fire engines oh, uh that's and so cool. when I, when i was a kid he had a magneto out of a 1920s oh, fire engine no. with a hand crank on it in the oh, basement. And he was like, here, so put painful. your fingers here yeah. and turn the crank <laughs> and you get zapped, you know, with, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not enough to, like, you know what? It's funny. It's funny. You say that about a Magneto. I, I literally just did that on, uh, uh, this, this old Harley I have, um, uh, runs also off of a Magneto. Um, for those that don't know, a Magneto is, is essentially a, a means of, of charging these old engines and creating a, a, a lot of spark from, a small amount of rotation so a little device it's like a capacitor or a battery um and if you're holding the wrong end of it uh it will give you a nasty nasty little shock um 
and I was holding my Magneto the other day, and by accidentally spun it in my hand, and it's like 40,000 volts or something through your hand <laughs> right. instantly, and it just like made my right arm go numb for the rest of the day. It's a lovely, lovely experience, but... Um, yeah, but that like baptism. But you're here to, but you're here to tell about. Yeah, it, right? I, mean, yeah, 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 I, I yeah, think yeah. that you know there there are dangers, right? I mean, people talk about like sticking forks in outlets and things like that, and yeah, there are that's... a lot of safety things around to prevent you from dying doing those things. And yeah, but I mean that, that baptism by fire and and like you know the those lessons, those lessons that will you'll never forget that. Yep. I guarantee you've never touched that magneto again. Nope. And you probably are slightly scared of. Which is a good thing. Yeah. I mean, like a little bit of fear installed in learning is is, is just as important as the, the well, thing that you're the, learning itself. Those are the so. things that you learn and help you remember later, right? Like right. I had to replace the starter on my van mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago, and I will never, ever forget to <laughs> take the negative cable off the battery oh, no. ever when I'm doing that stuff, you know, like because of that. I mean, yep. I have this very yep. – I have a great amount of respect mm-hmm. for electricity and understanding <laughs> that I don't want it going through me. doesn't matter if you respect it or not. It will – it will make you respect it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I I think those, uh, um, kind of learning in, in the moment, it's like, um, you know, if you want to learn a language, it's the best thing to do is immerse yourself in the, in the like culture or whatever, you know? So this is, so I say like, just start taking stuff apart if you're even mildly curious about it. Yeah. So you started taking stuff apart and eventually putting it back together. Yes. Yes. I was more, um, I was more fascinated about, uh, like mechanical kind of components more than more than electrical. I mean, I I do electrical stuff on a on a daily basis now, but um, I mean that that came by default. But it was mainly mainly like uh, I don't know bicycles and things like that, and 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 like yeah, car parts and, uh, and anything that was mechanical and like gear driven. Like you know, I had a drill press that unfortunately didn't make it through the transition, as I call it, because I was like, I'll make it more powerful. Right. I, I need this drill drill press to spin even faster which in point of fact is not what you want yeah. um and yeah so that, well, i had this like uh what is it this drawer when i was growing up called my my innovation drawer which is ridiculous um and it was just full of these carcasses of these once like successful products i think it was like <laughs> my my go-to was like craftsman because I could just replace it. Oh, yeah. Sears used to give you any, you know, yeah, return yeah, it yeah, broken, yeah. get a new one. Yeah, exactly. So I was just like, well, that makes sense to me. And apparently if you bring pieces of your drill, <laughs> like, obviously taken apart, they will not accept that. <laughs> Lesson learned. Yeah. And now it'd be, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Sears that was even open to go in and take your uh, Yeah. You know what? They, uh, Craftsman sort of does that. It's like they, for, for those that don't know, Craftsman is, is like a, you know, um, uh, like an everything kind of brand. And um, they have a lifetime guarantee on all their stuff. But depends on what you do with it. Like if you see that, like they, you heated it up and bent it, they'll be like, obviously you, you messed this up. So I'm right. not, yeah, you don't get another one. Yeah. Yeah. And and uh, so your your tinkering with mechanical items mm-hmm. led you to to study uh, how they were designed and yeah. and built yeah. right yeah yeah I mean um, uh, so so for for those that don't know industrial design is kind of the all encompassing design world it's um, it's uh, I'd say it's it's like forty percent aesthetics and then. 60% how, like, why you're designing that. Or at least that's, as I see it, is is the good industrial designers out there. Because there's a lot of industrial designers that will just draw a pretty, like, a pretty picture, and then they'll just send it off to some engineer in Guangzhou, China, to figure out the rest. But, um, yeah, like, in theory, you're trying to 
you know, better, better an existing product or better an existing idea. You know, there's, there's a million chairs out in the world. So why on earth would your chair that you're designing today be any better than the next? So, uh, and that's what an industrial designer does. Um, you're, you're current, you're, you're perpetually trying to find the betterment of fill in the blank, you know? So, so are your motorcycles better than the next guys? Oh man. Uh, I would (laughs) never say that my motorcycles are better than any, anything. Uh, they're just different. Um, I mean the, the, the clients that I have, which are, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that, um, you know, the, the client base that I have, um, are, are mainly creatives. So like a lot of the things that, uh, initially attract people to my motorcycles, I think are that they're, they're very shiny. Um, but the, the thing that's really important to me is that they, they work really well. And in point of fact, they work better than they used to work. So like, you know, my, my go-to or rather my wheelhouse for, uh, for motorcycles are, are typically like BMWs, um, airheads specifically, um, uh, air, air cooled, motors it's kind of modeled off like an airplane engine for those that don't know um and it's uh uh yeah they're they're kind of like this um anemic form of combustion and they they just need a lot of stuff for them to kind of flourish and come into their own you know better exhaust system better um carburetor system you do some some head work and then you you know you pair you, you you create a like like if you're creating a dish you 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 know, gather your ingredients and in the right metered amount, you know, hopefully you get a good steak at the end. Yep. Right. Yeah. So, so that's how you are, you're creating your bike. So you're not, you're not milling it. You're not building engines. You're not milling um, every single piece, but you're assembling some. No, I mean, I, I do some and, of that. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. Massaging them. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm not, I'm not sitting there making like, you know, from a block of aluminum, making an engine block right. and things like that. But, um, you know, I know that I just don't know how to do that properly. Like I, I could, but I don't. Right. Yeah, that and and the the like monetary value of creating in it. Like there, there's nobody paying. Like <laughs> you're like, yeah, paying for like me to sit there and be like, hey, this engine's made from solid, you know, titanium. And I'd be like, great. By hand that's, in yeah, I'd be like yeah. cool. Like it's a five hundred thousand dollar engine. Yeah. Like yeah, that's a that's a motorcycle that's right. not selling. Right. So. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I make motorcycles it, it, like I like to create around a price. So it's a little bit more realistic. It's realistic as a as a manufacturer of these things, but it's also sure. realistic. Uh, consumers just don't, you know, don't want to pay, you know, one hundred, two hundred thousand dollars for a bike. It's just like right. it's just not there. Right. So, like nobody can wrap their head around that. Yeah. Um, or at least nobody that I know. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Not yet. If anybody's yeah, out not there, yet. Not yet. anybody yeah, yeah, out yeah. there who wants to spend two hundred thousand dollars on a motorcycle, anybody out there who wants a five hundred thousand dollar bike, Tim, can I can make do it. that for you. Yeah. No problem. Yes, no problem. Uh, I want to go back to to what you said though about uh, about just taking these things apart and learning about it. I think that yep. that is something that obviously you and I have, you know, share that as a common thread of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I am far more willing. There are lots of things I don't know how to do, lots of things I can't do, <laughs> but there's almost right. nothing that I'm afraid not to try because I, I also know that by and large I can find someone who can help me do it or can fix it if I really, really screw it up. You know, that's a really rare thing. I know. There's it's like, too there's, bad. There's like the majority of the population in the world that is A, either just not interested. Yep. Or be just not ambitious enough to actually even yeah. 
want to take that on. Well, and I think I think that part of it too is that uh, you know the more we live in a world where you know, and I think this is I think there's an interesting corollary here between food and working on mechanical things, cars, sure. in my case, and cars yeah. and motorcycles yeah, in your case, yeah. where you know I decided to try to make my own hard cider by shredding apples in a food processor and then squeezing them because I wanted to try because I wanted to know the process from start to finish. It's the same reason that like I will replace, you know, the first time I replaced a, you know, clutch slave cylinder or did the brakes myself because I was like, well, I'm going to assemble all the parts for this and I'm going to read a lot about it and I'm going to maybe ask some people and then I'm going to try and do it and I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to fail. Yeah. But either way, I'm going to learn a lot. And if I fail, it's not nothing terrible is going to happen. I'm just going to have to have someone else do the breaks <laughs> or not drink the cider, right? Like, yeah, a- <laughs> yeah. Not drink the cider. I'm going to use that. That's a good metaphor. Don't drink the cider. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of people that have just kind of grown complacent with, with what's given to them, what's, yeah. you know, right in front of them. Yeah. And if it's, uh, if it doesn't make sense within the first, like what's, what's within five feet in front of you, then it's just like, you know, it's like this isn't my wheelhouse. So like, you know, uh, you look at your cell phone and it's got a broken screen. A lot of people are just like, well, now what? Now what right. do I do? And you're just like, <laughs> my world just is shattered, literally. Yeah. And you're just like, <laughs> well, you could you could be resourceful and maybe go on YouTube and, you know, find 700 out. videos yeah. of yeah, how to replace like, it. Yeah. Or, or you could just, you know, do like the rest of us do and just drop it off at, you know, your local whatever iPhone store sure. to fix your screen. I, it's the, that DIY kind of culture is. I, I I'd like to say that it's you know that it's strong and doing well, but I just feel like there's so many people that are becoming complacent just because of like I don't know consumer electronics have ruined us yeah. and like you know consumer electronics are moving so quick right now that by the time you know you get your iPhone seven, there's probably going to be an iPhone eight out there within the next like six months. So right. you're you know, your new technology is already dated within six months. I mean, yeah, yeah it's it's difficult to keep on uh, building on on, you know, these these ideas of like do it yourself when yeah. when like consumer electronics and things like that are just kind of ruining this hope. <laughs> I do think, though, that there are there are some signs of of hope out there for this. I mean, I think food is one I would like to think, at least, you know, in the in the world that I exist in, having just written a book about how to make vinegar, that hopefully people will be encouraged to do this at home and to learn about it yeah. and to experiment with it. And it's not, you know, uh, in the in the antique truck collecting world. <laughs> my, my dad also collected uh, or had a 1931 Chevy two door coupe. Oh, and man. there used to be years and years ago, I don't know if it still exists, but there, there was, uh, I think it was the, the American, uh, antique Chevrolet like mm-hmm. group, yeah. um, association had a monthly or, or quarterly magazine called generator and distributor. And, and <laughs> in, awesome. in that magazine, there was a column called the junkyard dogs and it was guys who went out <laughs> and I remember reading, I would read this habitually you know, in the eighties when it would come, I'd read it yeah. and it was photo, you know, clearly taken on 35 millimeter film photographs of like yeah. finding these old junkyards in the woods. And yeah. one of them had a, you know, model a stuck in a tree cause the tree had grown up and lifted the thing off the ground. And, oh, that's and, so cool. And their motto was the fun is in the search, right? Yeah. They were always looking for specific parts. Guys looking for a door handle for a 32 <laughs> Chevy truck or whatever. And he's mm-hmm. out there and they're scouring. And the whole point was that that, you know, the, the journey was the point. Yeah. If you found the thing, that's great. And I think that that is becoming, I would like to believe more true in, in things like, cooking and then i see another you know i also aside from owning a, a bmw 2002 i own a volkswagen van again oh and so cool the van life 
hashtag has like yeah. blown up in the past couple of it years. Has, I mean, I've had my van for like more than bands. 10 years. Yeah. There's a lot of vans around yeah. and, and there's this idea of people getting on the road and, and it's very shiny and Instagrammy. I have a friend who's like, well, it's just porn. Yeah. It's yeah. porn without boobs or sometimes there are boobs. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, there's you know, all sorts of kinds of porn nowadays. Yeah. I, I've, I realized, um, you know, I, I subscribe to like a handful of Instagram pages that are just like different engines. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm sitting there drooling and trying to figure out how these work. Right. But um, uh, but I think that the, the van life thing, you know, we're talking about, I mean, you know, they're not all Volkswagen vans. Some people are, are you know, in newer vans and sprinters and yeah. things like that. And they're out living on the road. But but part of the the thing that, that is, I think, starting to, to crack the surface a little bit is that it's not all these beautiful photos, right? It's It's, oh, here I am, I'm broken down. And it's, you know, it's, you know, my van won't start. And like, that's a true does, any, does anybody yeah. out there yeah. like, can anyone help me? And so yeah. what you see in some of these is you see comment threads where people are saying, well, you should check this and you should check this. So there's like a there's like a community around helping these people figure this out. And they kind of mm. need to. And you kind of have to be willing to do that if you're going to. Well, I mean, it's it's funny that you, you talk about these barn finds is just because um, I, I have this theory. Um, I call it the um, uh, the flea market theory, which is it's. It's not. It's not really what you're you're buying at the flea market. It's actually the the search for, and it was. And it's like you're reliving that that memory that you had. You're, it's just basically like this like dopamine kind of fix that you're having. You're like, oh my god, I can't even believe it. It's like a Hot Wheel track from you know the '80s, or this was a Transformer. I'm sorry, I'm using toys as references, but it's it's usually the best because you're going to this like adolescent memory of you yep. having like fill in the blank um food food has that those triggers as well if you have like you know like i I didn't realize until recently that that um that i had these really solid food triggers um i went home to my my parents house and i i had this like um my my mom always used to make this like lasagna something rather another dish it wasn't lasagna but it was like something else i i honestly can't recall the specifics of what it was but it was this um, this taste trigger that I had, and I just remember having it. I was like, oh, my God. And it was like a flood of memories based on this one bite. And I was like, oh, my God, I, rec- I can't remember. Like, I can't believe that you made this. She's like, yeah, you, you remember it. I'm like, oh, my God, yes, of course. <laughs> I was like, it was – it was, and then I, I also remembered I was like – I was like, oh man, she used to make this way too much. <laughs> like, it was just like. So it was nice to come back after many years. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like, that was a perfect amount of time. That like twenty <laughs> years of not having that. Uh, and then I remember being like, she's like, you want seconds? I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm right, good. right. You got the memories. It, it worked. Yeah, I got the memories out of this thing. So no, no more lasagna thing. <laughs> cool. Uh, we're gonna take a short break and hear from sure. one of our sponsors here at Heritage Radio. And when we come back, I want to hear about. Uh, a story that you alluded to uh, <laughs> about eating grass. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm Mike Calameco, host of Food Talk on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Bob Moore, founder of Bob's Red Mill, as well as Ray and Tom Williams, who've worked with Bob for years and co-own an organic farm in eastern Oregon and Washington. Ray, Tom, why is organic farming so important to your family? 
It's all a matter of the soil is a source of nutrients. So you increase organic matter of the soil, you increase the water holding capacity. Water is becoming increasingly scarce. So in terms of sustainability, we don't think it's the only answer, but it's one answer, and it's the answer that we're trying to pursue. It's been a challenge, and it's been fun because it, it is different, and we're learning how to do it for the last 10-plus years. We're not just doing organic. We're doing organic to high standards. Bob, why did you choose to partner with Ray and Tom? Oh, goodness. Well, because they're the best farmers in Oregon, and they're close, and they have a bunch of acres, I think about 10,000, over in, in eastern Oregon and Washington. They're wonderful farmers, and their family have been farmers over there uh, for many, many years. It's really important that you have long-term relationships, and we've enjoyed a long-term relationship with Bob's because there are a lot of challenges to organic farming. You simply don't have as many tools as a conventional farmer, and so you have to rely on longer-term solutions. Knowing that you have a market is absolutely critical. The margins in farming are not that great, so if you grow the stuff and you can't sell it, you have a real problem. And we know with Bob's that we have a market. and. Uh, we turn out high-quality grains, and they buy them, and it all works well. Learn more about Bob's Red Mill and their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. Welcome back to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and uh, if you're just joining us, I have Tim Harney of Tim Harney Motorcycles here Hello. in the studio. Before the break, we were talking about uh, and imploring you, the listeners, to get out there and just try your hand at things because you can't really screw it up that badly, right? Like, if you <laughs> like, you should just make cassoulet if you decide that that's of interest to you, or you should just like take your car apart uh, if you want to know how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so tell me about eating grass. <laughs> I can tell you it's probably not advisable at this point <laughs> in my life without somebody, uh, maybe sending me to a hospital. But, um, yeah. So when I was, when I was a little kid, um, I did, I think what maybe a lot of like, uh, younger kids did. I had a, I have an older brother and an older sister and, and, uh, I saw my brother, um, with, without any backstory, I saw my brother outside eating grass um, the, the, the story was, is that he, um, wasn't eating his breakfast and, um, in, uh, in anger towards my parents, he thought that the great idea would be to go outside and start eating grass, um, oh, to, as, like, as an act of defiance. Yeah. To yeah. just show them like, I don't need your food. Right. Which, I have this and, whole lawn. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, I don't need you guys. I'm, I'm good. I can go, I'm feral now. And I'm, you know, I'm going to, how, how old was he? I don't know. Maybe like. 10 nice um have so that to that, look forward to with my son yeah the eating grass thing is a little i mean but it was like a lot of grass anyway so i, I came downstairs <laughs> not hearing this conversation there this argument they were having and i just i saw you know my my brother who i like idolized eating grass outside and i was like oh well i guess that's that's the green light on grass then uh so i took it upon myself i i, I even remember sitting out there and i was like like trying and I was like, this doesn't taste great, but I mean, he's doing it. So this is, this is what I'm doing now. And just the massive amount of grass that it took for me to just realize like, this is so stupid. 
But I mean, it's a good thing that you like you weren't eating, you know, like there weren't mushrooms growing on the lawn, or oh, you know man. what I mean, like that's something that could have like, really hurt you. It was not a like, wise idea. Yeah. I don't. I mean, like you know, to, to, to all kids out there. I mean, nowadays I'm sure like you know, kids are getting like gluten free, non processed, natural, you know, free range fill in the blank, and I mean, in all honesty, I think some kids probably need to eat a little bit of grass. Sure, but. uh yeah, it builds up your immunity. It builds character or exactly. backbone or yeah. whatever. Fill in the blanks. Some <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it maybe it was a bad idea. Who knows? But um, yeah, my my grass eating stories to this day. It's funny. I was just telling Harry for a second. Was it? Um, uh, I'm speaking like I'm speaking to a crowd here. <laughs> um, uh, I I still to this day uh, try to emulate what my brother and sister are doing i mean they i'd say that they're they're a a wiser folk than myself um so he's i I get a phone call from my brother saying you gotta eat at this restaurant and i immediately i'm like okay i'll be eating at that restaurant it's it's the grass the proverbial grass is is still not eaten apparently yeah yeah uh i'm gonna read a read a couple paragraphs from a book uh that i'm in the middle of currently called catching fire how Cooking Made Us Human by Richard Wrangham. Um, it's an interesting book. It, it talks about uh, how and, and sort of hypothesizes that really the thing that allowed us to evolve into the human form that we have now is that we were able to have fire and cook our food, uh, <laughs> which made a lot more nutrients sort of bioavailable uh, to us rather ever, than eating things that are raw. Have you ever watched the movie Quest for Fire? Yeah, a long it time is, ago. It is that sums up me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm just going to I'm going to read a I'm going to read two paragraphs uh, just because I think it, it's related to this because I'm curious to know Tim after I read this if uh, you know if you would follow your your siblings into this kind sure, of yeah. eating. So uh, uh, instinctotherapists, which are a minority group among raw foodists, believe that because we are closely related to apes, we should model our eating behavior on theirs. In 2003, I had lunch with Roman DeVivo and Aunt Jay Spores, whose book Genefit Nutrition argues that cooked food provides an unhealthy diet to which we are not adapted. They were lean and healthy. They were clear about their preference, which was to eat all their food, not merely raw, but without any preparation at all. They politely declined a salad because its ingredients had been chopped and mixed. The natural way, they explained, is to do what chimpanzees do. Just as those apes find only one kind of fruit when eating in a given tree, so we should eat only one kind of food in any meal. To illustrate their habit, DeVivo, Spores, and a friend had brought a basket containing a selection of organic foods. They sniffed at several fruits, one at a time, to allow their bodies to decide what would suit them best. By instinct, they said. One chose apples, another chose a pineapple. Each ate only his or her first choice. The third decided on a protein-rich food. He had brought frozen buffalo steaks and pieces of buffalo femur. Today was a marrow day. The femur chunks were the size of golf balls. Inside of each was a cold pink mush that looked like strawberry ice cream. He cleaned out several pieces of bone with a teaspoon. Mmm. <laughs> Doesn't sound particularly Yum. Uh, pleasant. And to be honest, I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not a nutritionist. But when I think about, like, what makes a nutritious meal, um, just spooning bone marrow out of a femur does not... Yeah, that sound sounds like I mean I don't feel like I could do that and be like I'm ready to face the day. <laughs> like, you know, let's go, you know, let's go to work today like yeah. maybe like a Tony Tiger kind of <laughs> sponsored and just, like eating Tony Tiger's backbone like yeah. mm, great. <laughs> uh yeah, I don't I don't know if I could subscribe to that. I do I I can speak to the the regimen of a diet. Um once upon a time, when in in the healthier versions of myself, um, in high school, I used to wrestle, 
um, and finding a routine is is like vital to to creating like a standard. Um, mm. So like if, uh, for instance, my my diet was really regimented, like I could drop weight and or gain weight really quickly because my metabolism was was so kind of acute. Um, and you oh know, right, I and did, that would determine what weight where you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what weight were you wrestling? Yeah, (laughs) so I would, I'd eat massive amounts of broccoli and totally just, you know, like steamed broccoli and chicken. And it was, um, I hated the diet. I hated it. But like, if you find some routine in it, um, and you you start eating food for its utilitarian sake and not for pleasure, that's what you know. A lot of us. you know, kind of get twisted on <laughs> yeah. is, uh, yeah. And you know, if you're just eating it, you know, like, listen, I just got to get past this and I don't care what it tastes like. It doesn't matter what it tastes like. Um, you can, you can create some kind of regiment to how, how you're feeling and how your, you know, your, your weight can fluctuate. Yeah. I mean, I, I did that recently. That was sobering. Apparently I don't have a great deal of will anymore for, <laughs> For, for non-pleasure based foods and weak. Well, but I, I don't I mean I, I don't think it has to be so binary though I mean I, I feel like mm. you can be in a situation where um, you know like I don't I don't usually like have a beer for breakfast. I mean, like I like <laughs> you don't beer usually meaning it sometimes. Sometimes the occasion. I, beer I right just now. don't. I don't. You know, I actually I can't remember the last time I had a beer for breakfast. But I mean, like you know, the other day some friends happened <laughs> to be biking by my apartment on like Saturday, and they popped in, and it was like, you know, eleven forty-five in the morning, and <laughs> I was like. I don't know. You guys want a beer? Like, and we just had a beer at eleven forty nine. It was like fine. You know what? If I if if those friends biked by on a Tuesday morning, I bet you would have a different opinion. I'm sure you're right. Saturday See, based, a, but beer. it's not binary. Saturday, right? It's like yeah, when it, like when Friday comes, most of Fridays wash, and then all the way till Monday, it's like it doesn't matter. The rules don't apply. So it's like it's wake weird, up though. and we're have ice cream and this, beer. We're yeah, stuck in this weird cycle, right? Like <clears throat> where we where we live in this way where like everybody is on that same train to a certain extent, right? Everybody's like, oh, it's Friday night. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, like you're like, you're also li- we're all living in the confines of of, you know, social boundaries. So true. you're you know, that's why like most people don't wake up and have like a pint of ice cream. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> Yeah, you're besides like you're going to feel awful uh yeah. either about yourself and about, you know, your your body is really not going to react well to that. You've yeah, we we have people that are around us that are like, "Ooh, bad idea." Like yeah. maybe rethink your life. Um just as much as, you know, waking up on a Tuesday morning and having a beer is like yeah, maybe socially frowned upon. There's probably tons of people out there that are drinking a beer listening to this program right now and be like i disagree but you know to to each his own (laughs) if you can see past those the social norms you know yahtzee my hat's off to you uh so uh tim you recently got married i did and uh you know to a uh to a wonderful woman who is also obsessed with uh machines that go fast Yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's unfortunate for for both of us because we are uh, we are both enablers in yeah. each other's <laughs> vices. Yeah, yeah. We we both perpetually feast on on speed and control. It's just dangerous. 
in a home. I mean, I, I, it seems to me like it could also be viewed that you guys are like some kind of like a power couple. I mean, you now have like, you've got really cool cars and really cool bikes and, you know, you yeah. know how to fix them. And that like, is you know. one way to look at it. Yeah. That is. <laughs> uh, what did you have for food at your wedding? Oh, yeah. We, so we, um, we, we kind of lucked out. We've got some friends that are, um, are very good at making food. Um, we, we have a friend named uh, Andrew Carmelini. Um, who owns a handful of really successful restaurants, and I, um, I'm sure has been on in this in this studio numerous yeah. times on, on Heritage. Yeah, Radio. yeah. Andrew Carmelini owns. You know, he's a Michelin rated restaurant owner and cook and uh, chef, and um, and he was nice enough. He's um, uh, owner of uh, Luga. I, I, Luga. I, I hope I'm saying the name right. I. It'd be awful to butcher the name of of his restaurant, but, um, in the Williamville hotel in, yep. in Williamsburg. And it's, it, it's not good food. It's great food. It was addictive. And for most people that don't eat on their weddings, which I didn't realize was a thing. I mean, I got, I, I got to eat a decent portion. I mean, most of it was talking to people, but yep. in all honesty, but, um, I mean, I've, I've never heard such amazing reviews. You know, we had, we had a small, um, uh, like a, a small dinner reception just for, you know, uh, like our families and like really good close friends. And then, and then we had a huge party, which was, um, at a different location where my, my wife works, but, um, this place called the classic car club in the city. And then we had about like 150 people there. Um, we figured it was just like a lot more cost effective to make a bunch of people really happy about food. Yep. And then, a whole another bunch of people happy about booze. <laughs> oh, nice! Yeah, nice. cake and cake and booze. It was so, a, did you serve Moto Spirits? We did. Cool. We did. We so, went through a lot of yeah. of whiskey. So, so tell me a little bit about where uh, uh, about Moto Spirits. So, sure. Moto Spirits is a distillery that is in the same shop as yours. Yeah, yeah, and uh, has two currently two products available. Right, mm-hmm. there's yep. a rice based whiskey. Yes, yes. So, um, so it's all it's all rice based. Um, uh, so the the, the story, the, the kind of the quick story is, is um, my Israeli friend Haggai, um, a very good friend of mine, uh, started this, this um, distillery in his bathroom in his building, which I realize does not sound very, um, very good. But apparently a lot of distilleries start this way. Um, I mean, that's, they very, call it bathtub gin, right? Yeah, the- yeah, yeah. It was um, so when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that is that is an awful thing that you're doing. <laughs> Can't believe that you're putting that into people's bodies. But, um, now, so he's, uh, he, uh, he's a motorcycle friend. I've built a handful of motorcycles for him. And, um, that's, that's how we met. Um, he bought a motorcycle for me and then we kind of hit it off and became friends. And, um, and, uh, he needed some space for, um, to develop, you know, this, this recipe. And, um, so we, we got the space together and, you know, it's, um, uh, it, it seemingly works. You know, we have like just, just under about 3000 square feet in, in Brooklyn. And that's like a, a massive amount of space in, in Brooklyn. And it's a little bit of space for a distillery right. apparently, but, yeah. um, we, we, you know, we make it work. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he goes on these motorcycle tours. Um, this is, this is the, the logic on why it's called Moto Spirits, um, because the, the whiskey was discovered on one of these motorcycle, um, tours in Vietnam, um, which is the choice of, of, um, 
grain that they distill off of in Vietnam is it's the most um, you know available. Sure. Um, so rice is uh, it's it's actually difficult to um, to distill off of. It's really temperamental. Um, a matter of like ten degrees can either make or break your your um, your run. Um, so we've learned and. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we've we've just been refining it year after year, and now now we're we're legal, and we're we're in about thirty four different places. Um, you know, we became legal as of uh, let's see, about five months ago, um, and we're we're trying to do some kind of grassroots development. We're trying to we're working with a lot of our the the local bars and restaurants, and uh, you know, and trying to figure out what the demand is. So 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 far we have. We have two different brand, um, two different kinds. One is called Jabuka, uh, which is creation for apple, which is another um, kind of of whiskey discovered on another motorcycle trip. Um, all right, uh, yeah, they're all they're all basically on these discovery. Like my my friend cool. Hagai just came back from Greece. He's got some new, you know, recipes that we're gonna hopefully develop and see if they're they're worth you know worth de- you know developing or. Sure. Um, and we it's. I don't know. It, I mean, we're the only distillery in America that um, that sells a rice-based grain, um, which is which is cool. But it's also the learning curve is is far more acute. Um, so we've we've definitely wasted a lot of rice, like thousands of pounds of rice have just totally wasted trying to figure out this this damn. Now, formula. Do, do you guys use koji for the fermentation? We do. Um, we use uh, we, we use our. I mean, we have a really specific kind of coveted um, means of creating our starch into um, sugars. Um, but you know, we we use things like you know enzymes to um, to to get the the ball rolling. Um, everything from like you know how how we do our we oxygenate uh, oxygenate <laughs> we add oxygen to our to our mash at really specific times. Hmm. Um, uh, during the fermentation process, we've um, we, we control our our, our fermentation um, uh, temperatures. Um, so we have jacketed and then um, cooling, kind of um, copper cooling in um, inside of our fermentation tubs, and it's all about refining our our mash. Um, our our still is, is we have a this beautiful still that was made for us. Um, it's a just a four plate column still with a defragulator and a um, huge condenser and and produces just this beautiful it, it pops out at um our bodies are about 180 proof oh wow yeah so i mean that's Pie. so yeah 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 so our and our you know our, our head is um for those that don't know when when you're distilling you have your your head your body and your tail your tail is usually a um uh a far lesser proof like 60 proof or something like that um, and our body, like most, most stills will, depending on how it's set up, can produce like 140 proof. <clears throat> what that means is you yield, you yield more, uh, booze basically. Yeah. So 180 proof. And then we, we, we barrel at, um, we, uh, at, you know, we barrel at 180 and then, um, we bottle at 84 proof, meaning we, we add distilled water and yeah. things like that. So we can, we can control, um, the purity of our product really specifically. And then, um, and then the exciting thing about what we do is that we, 
we have almost relatively zero uh, waste. So we take our mm. mash. Um, our mash becomes soap. Oh. Um, yeah. Wow. We have a, a soap business that will eventually um, be out on the market. But, I mean, we're, we have soap. I'll give you some same, soap. Same branding, want. Moto Soap? Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we have a partner in that because we obviously we just don't know how to make soap. Yeah. Um, and, but it's it's amazing. I'll give you some. Is it really good at cleaning motorcycle grease off your hands? I wish we actually. So we do have um, a version of it. We, we're going to be adding. Um, uh, my my friend owns a, uh, a coffee shop, and we're going to be using um, the uh, coffee grains, oh, the cool. spent coffee grains, yeah. to add As like abrasive. pumice. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's and it's actually rejuvenates because it's caffeinated. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, so it's awesome. caffeinated soap, caffeinated so, hands. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it'll. I mean, because that's. I was like, wow, we we we're getting soap from this. I was like, I you know being a, a you know a, a grease monkey, I'm constantly needing <laughs> pumicey soap. Yeah. You know, and there's not enough gojo in the world yeah. to clean my hands. My my hands constantly look like. You know, I'm panhandling, you know, and down on Wall Street or whatever. But, um, uh, yeah, so it's it's basically we're just trying a, a bunch of different ways to skin a cat. You cool. Know? But, um, awesome. Yeah, it's, so far it's really uh, it's really exciting. And then, and then the other thing that we have, which is even weirder, um, is we have a, a license to sell race gas. Because when, <laughs> yeah, the heads, the head of, of every um, still is is methanol. Right. So we're, we, we sell race gas. Oh, wow. We haven't sold, you know, any yet, but. But, yeah. But huh. we have a license. To, I mean, it's the so if you so somebody need, do they just email racegas at motospirits.com? No, so. we're not. We, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's our. our <laughs> God knows when we're actually going to be selling it, but we have copious amounts of race gas. Right, you have tons of methanol. Bizarre, huh. yeah. Um, but it was like, you know, and when when licensing, um, it was just like one of these things. You're like, you know, that you can also do this, and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah we'll take that too. Yeah, <laughs> right, sure. So, are you have you built any uh, any bikes specifically to run the? Uh... You know, methanol is really, really, really volatile. Yeah. Um, and if you, like, if you were to run a car on methanol, your car has to be set up for it. So a methanol based bike, um, you'd pretty much blow it up every time you rode it. Um, so it'd have to, that's why they make, uh, like drag bikes or methanol. Sure. Yeah. And, and so, so really, I mean, you guys need to somehow, you need to forge some kind of an association with like a drag strip in line yeah, or state or Jersey yeah, or something, yeah. because I mean, like nobody in Brooklyn's running methanol in anything, right? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, that methanol for, for those that don't know would be the equivalent of putting, you know, like you go and you put gas in your car and it's 87, 89 and then 93. So this would be, I think 140 yeah. octane. <laughs> Something something around that line. Yeah. It's I mean it's clear, and the the great thing it would be is your your car would spit out this lovely sweet smell. Yeah, after it blew itself up. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean it's uh, it's it's cool. We just uh, like you know most people just kind of throw away or they they use their their heads to like clean and right. sanitize stuff. Yep. But um, you guys have a license to sell it as race. Yeah, race it's race gas. Great. Whatever. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, well, it's been a real pleasure, Tim. We're pretty it's much been a out pleasure. of time. Uh, I want to make sure people can check out uh, your website. It's timharneymotorcycles.com uh, or motospirits.com. 
facebook.com. Yep. You can follow Tim on social media at Tim Harney Motorcycles. Do you have any uh, any events coming up for either your motorcycles or uh, moto that you want to plug uh, over here? Yeah, I mean, we, we are, we're now doing uh, the Union Square... Um, uh, markets. Oh. Uh, so yeah, it's, so that's it's a actually, great place for people to find you. Yeah. 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 If, um, if you, I, I believe we're doing Wednesdays, we're going to be doing, um, trying to do a, a regular thing on, um, every Wednesday we'll be doing, uh, free so, tasting. So if you're listening right now and yeah. you're in the union square area, you can go get some moto spirits. Uh, right we're, we are not there. Yeah, not we, there are, we okay. are, unfortunately we are not there today, okay. Okay. but okay. we will be there yeah. on a regular basis. Great. Um, and it, it, that information will be on our website soon. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again for coming in. Thank you for having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Feast Your Ears today. Big thank you to David Tattashore, who engineers this show every week. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at heritageradionetwork.org and on iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Please take a moment to like the show on iTunes if you did, in fact, enjoy it. And you can reach me via email with any questions, harry at thebrooklynkitchen.com. You can follow me on social media at thefoodballer. Talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.